Well, good morning, Veritas. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. We're going to continue our walk through um, this letter of 2 Timothy that we started a couple weeks ago. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them to 2 Timothy. And just to catch you up a little bit, if you missed the last several weeks, um, this is the last letter that Paul is going to put the pen to the paper for that we have in our Bibles. Um, He's in prison. It's not a good situation. Um, Because of that, he writes with a great sense of urgency in his last words. His time is short. Uh, The church, and maybe more specifically the gospel, is under attack. There's false teachers invading this church in Ephesus. And so there's a certain weightiness to Paul's words in these letters. And it's as if he's sort of saying this to Timothy. Timothy, I I need you to listen, and I need you to listen very carefully. I've got a really, really important mission for you. Here it is. Keep the message alive. Keep the gospel message alive. Paul's going to come back to that mission over and over again in this letter and use this letter to tell Timothy how to accomplish that mission. And so, Veritas, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is just that, to keep the message alive. Keep the gospel message alive. And as always, should you or any member of your church be persecuted or mocked, God will not disavow knowledge of you or your mission. He will guard you and keep you, and he will ensure safe passage into his heavenly kingdom. So what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at four ways to keep that message alive. Okay, we're starting in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. I want to read the whole thing. It's a pretty short passage. Get the whole thing in front of us. We'll read through chapter 2, verse 2. This is what, what Paul has for us this morning. Hold on to the sound pattern of teaching that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit that lives in us. You know that all those in the province of Asia have deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he diligently searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant that he obtained mercy from him on that day. You know very well how much he ministered at Ephesus. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So let's go back to verse 13. He says, hold on. Hold on to the sound pattern of teaching that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And Paul has this for Timothy. Although you're experiencing an ever-increasing amount of hostility because of this message, right? That message that was handed down to you from your grandmother, from your mother, now dwells in you. That message... What you need to do is you need to embrace first your own personal responsibility to preserve it in your life. So the first way to keep the message alive, Veritas, is preserve the message in your own life. Preserve the message in your own life. What does it mean to preserve or, as Paul says, hold on? Well, you look it up on Google, Merriam-Webster Dictionary has something like this. Maintain something in, in its original or existing state. So what are we to preserve? He says, well, it's, it's the pattern of sound teaching. Literally translated healthy words. Hugies, it's, it's where we get the word hygiene from. 
Well, what is that? What is the pattern of sound teaching? Well, it's at least the essentials of the gospel. And I think this morning is a great opportunity to pause and let's take stock of what those essentials are. Let's make sure everybody in here this morning is on the same page with Paul and Timothy. You have to start with God, right? You have to start with the fact that he's the sovereign creator of the universe and everything in it. That he's holy and completely separated from sin. That he's Trinitarian, right? He's three in one. We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that his true and authoritative word is the Bible. You start with God. What about human beings? Human beings were created male and female in the image of God with a soul or a spirit, as James just told us. We're born sinful, right? In our natures, we totally lack any spiritual good before God. So we start with God. Human beings, what about Jesus? We believe that Jesus is God's only begotten son, fully human and fully divine, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. We believe in his substitutionary atoning death, his bodily resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. And last, what about salvation? We believe that salvation is the sufficient and completed atoning work of Christ as the only way to be forgiven justified and have peace with God. We believe it's the free gift of God, initiated by God alone, received through faith alone through the grace of God. We believe that upon receiving this gift, God imparts spiritual life to human beings through the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be born again. And finally, evidence of this spiritual life is obedience to God's commandments. Those, what are you going to boil down kind of the essentials of this sound pattern of teaching the gospel that's what Paul is talking about. Now, how are we supposed to preserve this pattern of sound teaching? Well, he tells us, right? He says, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Those are kind of really broad sweeping terms, right? Why would Paul, why would you use two terms that we would need book upon book upon book upon book to really describe what they are? Well, I think we can narrow it in considering the context of 2 Timothy. He says, faith, in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Well, think about the situation Timothy's in. He's saying you need to trust that God is able to guard you and what you're to hold on to, the message of the gospel. Why does Paul add this? Well, it's going to be very tempting to have a spirit of fear and shame. We talked about that last week, right? When you come up against persecution because you're holding on to the gospel, very real temptations come about. Denial of Jesus Christ abandonment of your allegiance to him in some way, right? Maybe softening the message, changing it to make it fit in or less offensive to people. Those are all real temptations of Timothy. What about love? I mean, that's a, a pretty broad term. Well, I think Paul's saying, listen, Timothy, right beliefs, they're important. Those beliefs we just talked about, they're important, but they're not enough. The testimony of Jesus largely lies in how we live our lives, particularly loving those that disagree with you. Because next chapter, Paul's going to say, Timothy, you need to teach and instruct and correct your opponents with gentleness. It's not about winning an argument. The goal is to win someone to Christ. And he's so, guys, let's not 
mistake this. These are not optional to carry out this mission. Paul is saying faith and love are not optional, okay? You can't just have all the head knowledge in the world about the things of God and accomplish this mission. Faith and love are essential to preserving that message, and they're only found, he says, in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, aside from that, though, it's implied here that, well, if you're going to preserve this stuff, you have to know it, right? So how else would you preserve it? You need to know this stuff. You need to increase in knowledge of it, study it, and you need to live it out, right? We have access to more than Timothy had. Remember that. Timothy had access to the Old Testament and to Paul's teachings. He didn't have access to the entire New Testament. He didn't have access to all the books we have at Info Central, right? We have so much more today that we have access to. And it's our responsibility as Christians to study these things, to, to live them out. Don't skip over the words either that you have heard from me in this passage, right? Paul says to Timothy. This is going to come up later. Somebody had to teach Timothy these things, right? If Timothy is to pass these things on, well, it's implied that somebody had to teach him. And we know that it was at least his grandmother, his mother, and Paul. Keep that in your back pocket. We'll revisit that one at the end. Now, aside from knowing, studying, and living these truths in faith and love, what what might be a a step of application? Here's what I would say, Veritas. I would say, get in a relationship with someone who can point out your blind spots, where you may be neglecting to preserve the message. Let me me give you just kind of three sets of self-diagnostic questions, and I'll make sure I put these in the email to the Connection Group leader so you have these for the week. Are there willful disobedience or habitual patterns of unrepentant sin in your life. You you may be failing to preserve the gospel message in your own life. Have you stopped confessing sin to both God and other people? Right, sometimes it's easier to confess to God. Shouldn't be, should be harder to confess to him. But confess to God and other people. Or are are you justifying, tolerating, maybe minimizing sin in your life? or the life of your Christian brothers and sisters? And then last, have you stopped acknowledging your absolute constant dependence on God? I mean, is there an area of your life where you're living as if God didn't exist? We call that functional atheism, right? You're not a literal atheist, but there are certain areas of your life where you just don't bring God into it, right? He's not allowed into it. Maybe that's a sign that you're not preserving the gospel. Veritas, the the very gospel is at stake here, okay? Take this charge seriously. Let's go to our next verse, verse 14. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So to hold on to is different than guard. And so Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, even though he suffers for its sake, right? He told us that last week. Why is he not ashamed? Well, he knows very personally of God's power to guard him, and guard the message. That was verses 11 and 12 from last week. And so now, he's going to give Timothy that same charge. Guard the good deposit. Guard that gospel message. So the second way to keep the message alive is to guard the message against falsehood. Guard the message against falsehood. So if you're told to guard something, um, you're given that responsibility, it means that that something, whatever it is that's been 
given to you to guard. It's been entrusted to your care, right? Handed down to you. What does it mean to guard something? Well, probably prevent it from being stolen or lost or damaged. Look at the context of, of 2 Timothy again. Remember, there's such an urgency to keep the message alive because false teachers have infiltrated this church at Ephesus. So we need to guard especially from false teachers and false teaching. We also need to guard in the face of false cultural liturgies that we're exposed to every day. What's the difference? A false teaching or a false teacher is somebody who stands in a church and presents as an official teaching of the church something that's not true. A cultural liturgy is just a false message that's given us by society, by the government, by non-Christians, whatever it is out there. So how do we practically live this out? Well, first, you have to be able to spot the false teaching, right? That kind of goes along with point one. You got to be able to spot the pagan cultural ideologies. Once you're able to do that, guarding the good deposit means confronting falsehood and not wavering, right? Standing firm in your convictions when you confront it and then correcting the error. That's uncomfortable, right? We know that, Veritas. Now, the Christian doctrine that may be under fire the most today is the doctrine of humanity. I mean, what once could be assumed, it can't be assumed anymore. It needs to be articulated in detail, right? I I was watching TV the other day, and you know those prescription drug commercials that come up where they've got about 50 side effects at the end, right, that they want you to be careful about? Well, this one, their disclaimer at the end, um, it it was intended um, for men only. wasn't intended for use by women. But they didn't say that. They said, not intended for use by those who have been assigned female at birth. What? As if it's just some letters that a doctor put on a birth certificate or something. Now, this is more than commercials, though, when it hits our lives, guys. We had having a discussion in elder meeting last week, and Brad Verkler, one of our elders who runs a, a diving club, he said he had this moment with one of his, his young student-athletes, comes up to him and says, oh, I don't know if it was Coach or Mr. Verkler, I'm sorry, but I haven't asked you what your preferred pronouns are yet. Brad was kind of flabbergasted. What do you think my preferred pronouns are? Do I look like a man to you? But that needs to be articulated. And Brad didn't shrink in the moment. He gently corrected this young child, and he affirmed the beliefs that we talked about earlier. Talk about Eric and Holly Bodine. Eric's one of our elders, his wife Holly very godly woman, their daughter was being taught in school that, well, you know, you can choose whether or not to have a boy brain or a girl brain. Just choose whatever you want. Doesn't matter how you were born. And Eric and Holly could have just let that pass, but they very intentionally set up a meeting with their daughter's teacher and lovingly and gently looked her in the eye and said, we believe that you are teaching our daughter lies and corrected her and share the gospel with her. That's how you guard the message. So Veritas, the question for you, this is an uncomfortable question, but how are you gonna respond in that moment? There will be a moment, okay? Let me just turn here to chapter three. All who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Chapter three, verse 12, Paul says. What are you gonna do in that moment where your convictions are challenged and there's a fork in the road, 
Compromise or loyalty to Jesus? That's going to determine whether or not this message stays alive. Let's go on to verses 15 through 18. We get some examples here of, of what Paul tells Timothy to live out and to not live out. You know that all those in the province of Asia have deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he diligently searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant that he obtained mercy from him on that day. You know very well how much he ministered at Ephesus. So Paul makes his charge to Timothy all the more relevant. He gives us some positive and negative examples of what he's talking about. First, Phygelus and Hermogenes. Okay, we just had child dedications last week. Parents, take a note. Maybe not use those, right? If you have a child on the way. These are negative examples here. There, are, there were Christians who actually were ashamed of and deserted Paul. That wasn't a hypothetical that Paul was talking about. He likely cites these two guys because they were maybe ministry partners, friends even, um, leaders in the church. And, and maybe they deserted him at a particularly important time when Paul most needed moral support and encouragement. And when he says all Christians, he's using a little bit of hyperbole there. I mean, we know not every single Christian abandoned him. Timothy's still there. We do learn later in the book that um, Luke is still with him. But he does cite another name in chapter 4. He says, well, Demas deserted him. He says, at my first offense, nobody stood by me except the Lord. So this was a reality for Paul. But let's move on to this beautiful picture of the family of faith that Jeff alluded to in week one, Onesiphorus. He and his family, um, they're, they're distinguished from each other either because he's dead by now or because they're just geographically separated. He may still be in the area of Rome where he ministered to Paul, but his family was probably um, the ones that provided the means, like the financial means to help support Paul in such practical ways. Paul says, well, he refreshed me while I was in prison. Could, could involve actually bringing him food. A lot of times, remember, this prison situation was not good that Paul was in. You had to fend for yourself a lot of times, even when it came to stuff like food. But probably friendship and moral support as well. And he often ministered to him in Ephesus as well. Now what's more though, above and beyond the emotional, the practical support is this guy, ones as I like to call him, he was not ashamed to be associated with Paul, even with his chains. He diligently searched for Paul, right? This was probably a very secure prison in a remote location. It would have been so easy for Onesiphorus to say, well, can't find him, going to have to abandon this mission, go on to a different one. But he didn't. And then look at verse 18. Paul says, well, you know, Timothy. You know what he did. This wasn't done in secret. He wasn't ashamed. This is a picture of courage. We were talking about courage a lot last week. This is a picture of courage. One of the stories that's been just sweeping the media this last week. First active NFL player, Carl Nassib, to come out as gay. And I've read, I don't know, six, seven, eight different articles. And the one word that is in every single article I read is courage. I prayed for Carl this morning. Um, I hope that he finds the Lord, but that is not courage, Veritas. You want to see courage, you look at the life of Onesiphorus. 
willingness to be identified with with the apostle, whatever the circumstances. You look at Brad Verkler, who, by the way, not just looked that little girl in the eye and, and corrected her, but years ago, Brad was fired from the university for preaching the gospel. You look at the Bodines, who very intentionally, gently, lovingly stood in truth and corrected their daughter's teacher. So maybe this isn't a point about these examples, guys, but maybe as an application, pray for your pastors on a regular basis. I make that appeal on behalf of Jeff and Mark. Uh, There are some very, very unique challenges that go along with being a pastor. Remember, this is a pastoral epistle. Pray for your pastors on a regular basis. That's one way that you could minister to them. Let's go to chapter 2, verse 1. Paul goes on, he says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So when he says you, he's specifically contrasting Timothy with those negative examples. They did this, you on the other hand do this. And we've got this very warm and personal appeal. He says, my child, right? Guys, remember, Timothy's under intense pressure, persecution right now. He needs encouragement. It also kind of serves to remind Timothy of his intimate relationship with Paul and and kind of the authority and the responsibility that go along with that to carry on this ministry. And then notice the therefore. We've told you many times if you're to, to look out for the therefore, right? That points to something before. And what it points back to is all the imperatives Paul's directed at Timothy. Verse 6, rekindle the gift. Verse 8, suffer. Verse 13, hold on. Verse 14, guard. In light of all this, Timothy, in light of all those commands, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What does that mean to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Brought a couple props with me today. Can you guys see what this is? This is a power strip. It's going to take a lot of strength and a lot of power to fulfill this mission. Here's what we do a lot of times. You want to talk about mission impossible, Veritas. We're laughing right now, and I'm glad you are, because I hope there's a couple lighthearted parts in this sermon. But take this seriously. This is what we do. We operate in self-sufficiency. So, number three, keep the message alive, Veritas, by plugging into a power source. Keep the message alive by plugging into a power source. Remember that grace isn't just unmerited favor. We, we often define grace as the unmerited favor of God, and that's not a bad definition, but it's also power, right? Grace is also power. That's why in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, well, here's what Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Grace is power. And notice, it's God who does the empowering. This is a passive verb here, right? It's like, be strengthened daily, is what Paul's saying. Not just one time, but over and over and over and over again. There's this vital attachment between you and Jesus Christ that carries over to every area of your life, right? There's kind of no part of your life that's a solo mission. So how do do we 
apply this point. Some of the greatest advice I've ever been given in order to apply this point is just simply this. It's so simple, but it's so effective. Turn your thoughts into prayers. Just turn your thoughts into prayers. You do that, and there will not be one single square inch of your life that Jesus is removed from. Okay, last verse. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So the final charge to Timothy in this passage, what you've heard from me, we learn that at least for Timothy, that was the gospel and Paul's teachings, probably more for us today. In the presence of many witnesses, unlike the false teachers who are hiding behind a rock sharing this stuff, Paul was not. He was out in the open. He had many witnesses that could authenticate the truthfulness of his message. And then he says, commit to faithful men. This is, this is the charge. So commit. I, I'm, I'm trusting you with something that somebody else has trusted to me, he's saying. Right? That gospel message passed down. But not just any Christian. He says faithful. So those who will positively keep the message, preserve it and guard it, and negatively stated, those who won't lose it, won't destroy it, won't distort it, falsify it in some way. And he says to faithful men, remember the context, this is a pastoral epistle, so the context within which Paul is writing is one pastor to another, right? Pastors and elders are charged with teaching scripture and Christian doctrine in the public gathering of the church. So number four, keep the message alive by passing it on to the next generation, Pass on the message to the next generation. Now, Veritas, stay with me here. This is a very, very applicable point for you. There's a difference between the meaning of a text and the ways that we can apply it today. Men are charged with the office of pastorship and eldership, okay? But make no mistake about it. Verse 2 is a model for discipleship for every single professing Christian in this room, okay? Listen to me very carefully, Every single professing Christian here is to be able to teach Scripture and Christian doctrine at some level. Let me say that again. Every single professing Christian alive is to be able to teach Scripture and Christian doctrine at some level. Doesn't mean everybody's going to teach Veritas School of Theology. Don't believe me? Let's look at Scripture. Matthew 28. This is the Great Commission. Give it to everybody in this room, right? Make disciples and teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. 2 Timothy 1.5. We learn that Timothy's mother and grandmother taught him. 2 Timothy 3.15. Paul says, well, you've known these things from infancy. Probably talking about spiritual infancy. People were teaching Timothy all along the way. How about Ephesians 4? Pastors are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who are the saints? Every Christian. What's the work of ministry? Well, largely keeping the message alive. How about Deuteronomy 4, Ephesians 6? Parents, teach this. Mothers, fathers, teach this to your kids. How about Titus 2? Older women, teach these things to the younger women. Hebrews 5, Paul says, you're like a baby at the mother's breast. You're still on milk. You should be on solid food by now. What does he mean? You haven't grown in your knowledge of the faith. You know these very elemental things that you were taught as a young child. We need to grow in a knowledge of the things of God. 
You know, I tell every person in the discipleship context I interact with, this is one. Men's and women's Bible studies, another one. Connection groups, another one. VST is another one. In those environments, I tell everybody to approach it with two perspectives. And this is applicable to you as well. One, you approach it as the learner, right? You, you need to soak in new ideas, retain them, apply them to your life. But two, you need to approach every single discipleship situation as a teacher as well. How would I go and teach this to another person? That's a different perspective when you enter one of those environments. How would I take what I'm being taught now and teach it to somebody else? Now the point is the application, right? The application is pass this message on to somebody who is able to teach it, right? Find that one, just one person that you can pass this on and the message will stay alive. But, but maybe a little bit more, um, we need to grow in our knowledge, right? Strongly considering signing up for Veritas School of Theology. Strongly consider signing up for men's and women's Bible study. Even just go to Info Central. We've got a lot of great resources there that you can grow in the knowledge of the things of God. You know, I was at a football camp in 2002, almost 20 years ago, and I heard Dan Gable say this. In order to be a consistently good teacher, you need to be a consistently good learner. In order to be a consistently good teacher, you need to be a consistently good learner. That, Veritas, has marked my life since the day that I heard it. I've never forgot it, and, and I would encourage you to hold on to that as well. Yesterday, I had the pleasure of watching via live stream my, my niece. She ran in the Wisconsin State track and field meet, and she ran the 4 by 400 meter relay. So you've got four athletes, each goes around the track once, but in order for the second person to go, the first one has to pass a baton on, right? And on down the line. And I've been at many track and field meets throughout my years, and Veritas, you want to know the most horrifying sound you'll ever hear at a track and field meet? I mean, it will cause people, no matter what they're doing, to stop, right? It happened yesterday during the meet. Not, not my niece's meet, thankfully, but it happened. That is the most terrifying sound you will hear. While you're thinking about that, think about this. This is what John Stott says. All around us, we see Christians in churches relaxing their grasp on the gospel, fumbling it, in danger of letting it drop from their hands altogether. Veritas, there's no guarantees that this church is going to be around in 20 years. There's no guarantees. Literally, the message of life is at stake. Pass this precious message on to the next generation. Now, we talked about the pattern of Paul's teaching earlier. I want to give you just a little, little insight into his teaching that we see not just in this letter, but in, in every one of his letters. He always writes in this order. It's always the indicative followed by the imperative. What does that mean? He tells you what's true about you because of your relationship with Christ, and then he follows it up with what you should do in light of that. You see this in 2 Timothy 1, 7 and 8. He says, here's what's true about you, Timothy. You have, a, you have a spirit of power, love, and sound judgment. Now, here's what I want you to do. Suffer for the gospel. 
In Ephesians, he breaks the whole book just straight down the middle. First three chapters, here's what's true about you in Christ Jesus. Second three chapters, here's what I want you to do about it. Romans 6, here's what's true about you. You're united with Christ in his death and resurrection. You are dead to sin. Here's what I want you to do about it. Don't let sin reign in you. Galatians 5, here's what's true about you, Christian. Christ has set you free. Now here's what I want you to do about it. Don't submit again to a yoke of sin slavery. Colossians 3, here's what's true about you. You have been raised with Christ. Your salvation, if you are a genuine Christian, is so sure that we can talk about you being in heaven with God right now. Here's what I want you to do in light of that. Put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. That's the gospel. That's the gospel pattern. You're loved, you're accepted, you're delighted in by your heavenly Father. Now, go and express gratitude for that by walking in obedience to him. It's not the other way around, Veritas. Okay? It's not first do. Man, if, if you just, man, if you do a good enough job at following these rules, I, I hope you can do it. If you just suck it up, put a little more effort into it, maybe God will look down on you with delight. That's not the gospel. You know what you've experienced if you're a Christian because of this message. Amidst all of your flaws, all of the baggage that goes along with it, I mean, we're high-maintenance people, Veritas, right? We're high-maintenance. Weak faith, sins, we're ashamed at times of the gospel, but Jesus still has his arms open for us, and he's still faithful to us. Now, out of that great love that you've received, go and keep the message alive. Go and keep the message alive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a weighty word this morning, God. I pray that as we go into communion here, we could just have a moment where we reflect on the fact that you, in spite of our sins and our weaknesses and our failures, you remain so faithful and you delight to delight in us. You pour out your grace and mercy and love on us. You accept us with open arms. Let that truth sink into our souls, God. And I, I just pray, God, as we just receive your love, receive your love, receive your love day in and day out, that it would just motivate us just through an act of praise, through an act of gratitude, to go take this precious message that's given us life and, and to, to keep it alive in the ways that we've talked about today, God. In those moments where it's going to be hard, it's going to be hard to remain courageous, easy to, to be ashamed, give us the strength in those times, Lord to remain faithful to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.